You're listening to the Everyday Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ariel. The information, opinions, or references shared are not meant to treat or diagnose any medical, mental health, or addiction issue. It's informational and educational only. If you struggle with mental health or addiction issues, please seek help from your doctor, mental health professional, or addiction specialist. Let's get on to the show. Welcome back to The Everyday Addict. I'm Brian, your host, and thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to discuss a little bit about methamphetamines. And methamphetamines is was considered, and I think still is considered, one of the great uh, public health epidemics next to uh, opioid addiction. So methamphetamines, what exactly is it? Well, a definition from SAMHSA says methamphetamines is a synthetic stimulant that is addictive and can cause considerable health adversities and it can sometimes result in even death meth can be smoked snorted injected and taken orally and is often used with other substances so how is meth produced well meth is produced by chemical interactions from over-the-counter medications and other chemicals caused that cause these reactions and then reductions and and to achieve then isolate and to get this compound to get methamphetamine. Now I'm not going into how to make it or anything else like that, but we're going to look at the process in brief and how dangerous it is for us, how dangerous it is for us, and it can have a really big impact on the environment. Information taken from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. The making of meth involves many easily obtained chemicals that are hazardous, such as acetone, anhydrous ammonia, ether, red phosphorus, and lithium. Toxicity from these chemicals can remain in the environment around the methamphetamine production lab long after the lab has been shut down. And this causes, and this can cause a long, wide-ranging damaging effects to health. And many of the lab locations that are, after they're cleaned, are deemed hazardous waste sites, even after the cleanup, because this toxic effects on the environment and human health and these chemicals they leach out of like if it's been in a house it can be stuck in the house and most of the houses that are used to produce methamphetamine need to be demolished and taken away because the the substances are just so hazardous the effects of making meth let's look at some of the states that have the highest number of seizures of methamphetamines and this is michigan new york indiana illinois and North Carolina. And this is as of 2018. In a report as of January 2021, the Customs and Border Patrol Agency reported an increase of seizures of meth from 39,000 kilograms, which is 80,000 pounds in 2018, to well over 80,000 kilograms, which is 180,000 pounds in 2020. And to put that in perspective, it's an equivalent of two so in 2018, it was the equivalent of two empty big rig trucks with trailers. And in 2020, the equivalent would be four big rig trucks in total weight that are empty. That's a lot. That is a lot. And that jump and increase over those couple of years is even more concerning because meth is like everywhere. So this might have us ask the question like where is meth coming from now traditionally it's thought that you know independent drug trafficking groups and bikers used to be the main source of methamphetamines in america 
However, with the rise of transnational criminal organizations, currently more than 90% of methamphetamine come from drug cartels in Mexico. And meth has gone from cooking in the garage to a high-quality lab that can produce high quantities and high purity rates. And this has saturated the market, the Southwest market in the U.S. Even It reaches even out to Hawaii. And the Mexican drug cartels have replaced the traditional Asian suppliers and are projected to look to expand even further in the future. Even with restrictions on normal ingredients such as pseudoephedrine and ephedrine and all those other ones, it seems to not be any lag in the purity or supply. And it seems like meth is here to stay. It's not going away anytime soon. So methamphetamines, it really, meth and the brain. So let's talk a little bit about meth and the brain. So meth can have and has a really severe impact on the brain. And it affects the entire body when used. One of the most dangerous risks of meth use is stroke. Uh, and stroke is no joke um, because of the high blood pressure and all the chemicals and whatnot in it. It can lead to this stroke. And in case we don't remember what stroke leads to, it can lead to, lead to total paralysis, loss of speech, cognitive impairment, and even death. So let's just remember this. Like, Meth can lead to death. So meth equals death. We can say that. Meth has a very strong influence on the neurotransmitters in the brain. And the, the neurotransmitters that they affect the most is dopamine, serotonin, which produce that high feeling. However, when there's an excess of these transmitters in the body due to the meth use, that rapidly depletes the brain supply over time. And long-term overstimulation of dopamine and serotonin can lead to the destruction of the cells that produce these neurotransmitters in the brain. So we're not producing what we should be producing. And this damage can lead to chronic and long-lasting depression and a thing called anhedonia, which is a loss of pleasure in doing things. Where we just don't feel like, you know, we might hang out with our kids or play with the dog and it's like, eh, whatever, take it or leave it. Imagine living your whole life in either severe depression or in this constant state of just meh, you know, just uh, whatever, take it or leave it. I don't really care. Uh, things really don't, aren't really cool anymore. This, as we were saying, this damage can lead to the death of the cells that produce the neurotransmitters that naturally produce dopamine and serotonin and can lead to long-term chronic stress depression, and other things, as we'll continue to see. So chronic meth use can produce abnormalities in the brain that lead to three times the risk of developing Parkinson's for men. And for women, the risk is five times higher than that, which is really was kind of shocking when I was doing this research. So Meth use can also lead to psychosis with symptoms of hallucination and paranoia and are closely related to other serious mental disorders like schizophrenia and bipolar. Even though many people that use meth can recover in one to six months, some of these symptoms can persist for long term and even experience more episodes of psychosis and hospitalization without any use. Needless to say that meth 
has a long-term impact on the brain and its overall functioning and can lead to life-altering and changing consequences. Now, we can't see what's happening inside the brain. And a lot of these changes can be uh, put off on, well, this person is just psychotic or they're experiencing schizophrenia or bipolar, when actually it is a substance-induced disorder that continues to affect one's life over the course of their over the course of their life and meth not only affects the brain but it also can affect our muscles in our body the musculoskeletal system and these effects can be little unnoticeable maybe a little bit noticeable to quite large and noticeable issues so this can be anything from like hyper reflexive on the mid or mild end to involuntary muscle movements like twitches and tremors and these twitches and tremors can lead to a constant trauma to the musculoskeletal system that does not fully go away. And on the more serious end of conditions, it's known as rhabdomyolysis, which I have a hard time saying that word. But this is the breaking down of muscle tissue. And the muscle tissue breaks down in such a way where it releases the toxics, the toxins, from the breakdown of the damaged cells into the bloodstream. And if not caught early enough, it can lead to chronic kidney failure. Meth affects the heart in ways that produce heart palpitations and even a lasting arrhythmia. So the damage that it does not only to our brain, but then also to our body can have long-term consequences. We could have twitches. If you've ever seen someone who has chronic history of meth use, you'll see them grinding their teeth all the time, even when they're not using. You'll see involuntary movements. You'll see twitches. You'll see all these different things. And that's why, and that's from this effect of methamphetamines on the musculoskeletal system and how it operates. So what controls the body? It's the brain. So when the brain is severely impacted, the body and the functioning of the body will also be greatly impacted. So it's like we said, you know, it's really hard sometimes for people to see these changes because a lot of them are internal and we can't put a finger on it and we say, oh, this is what it is. Oh, you're using methamphetamines. And many users of methamphetamines won't notice that their life is changing, that their bodily functions are changing, and their brain is changing until they're in the chronic stages of it. And meth is super addictive. Like, you can get hooked on just using it one time because of the rush of dopamine and serotonin. And if we remember back to the formation of addiction, hey, guess what? Dopamine and serotonin are great things. The body likes to survive, and it doesn't care where it receives the reward from. But this is the reward pathway that gets hijacked by the use of methamphetamines. And it is very, very strong. So what is the average day of, a, of someone who uses meth look like? Well, like we said, it can be smoked, snorted, eaten, injected. And most of the clients that I have seen usually start with smoking and in a very short period of time go on to injecting it because of some of the effects on the lungs from smoking it. And not only that, but if you're using a lot of meth and smoking a lot of meth, injection is the better way to go because the high, the immediacy of the high is increased exponentially 
from smoking to injecting because there's less body functions to go through. So if we're to think about their route of administration, then eaten is probably the less, least amount, snorted, then number two, smoked number three, and injected the most direct route of administration. And when we're on a meth binge, clients have reported to me because they're binged, they can last on a binge from three to 25 days without any sleep. And what they describe when they crash, because the body goes into the shutdown mode and they collapse because of extreme exhaustion, dehydration, and lack of eating. And they may take a couple days off, but in describing what it feels like, it sounds like pure hell, right? They can't sleep. They can't get comfortable. They can't shut down their brain. They feel horrible. They have cravings. They really want to go back to use it, but they don't. And sometimes, most of the time, people will use another drug in order to combat the downside of the meth crash. And so some clients have used marijuana, some have used alcohol. A majority of the clients that I have seen combine and use fentanyl or an opioid to kind of like feel better after that crash. And then after a couple days, they'll start this cycle all over again where they're injecting, smoking, smoking, eating, or snorting, and then be up for long periods of time with no sleep. And this continues to happen. The cycle starts all over again. And some chronic users will inject meth every two to three hours and inject as much as a thousand milligrams at a time. This is chronic use. A pattern of use like this eventually leads to physical changes in a very short period of time. In the faces of meth campaign through the Department of Corrections in Oregon, they've done a lot of documentation on the mug shots of people that have been arrested for meth use and various crimes, but then seeing the changes over even a short period of time, it can be as little as four months to a year. And in looking at some of these pictures, the changes are very drastic. They're not who they were. Their stature is very gaunt. They have sores on their face because of the hallucinations of thinking that maybe there's bugs underneath their skin or they're paranoid about something. I mean, really, when we're smoking methamphetamines, we're really not taking care of ourselves. We're not eating. We're not sleeping. Things decline rather rapidly. So it's, it's really sad to see how damaging this drug is and to see before and after pictures of people that struggle with meth and their addiction. And sometimes it's struggling with meth, their addiction, and mental health issues. And to see the change in these people to becoming almost zombie-like is really sad. And we might ask ourselves, well, can you recover from meth addiction? The answer to that is absolutely. We can recover from just about any addiction that is out there. But it takes us, it takes the individual's attitude and acceptance that they cannot live this life anymore. That this is a dead end and only things are going to get worse from here on out. And they have to be willing to seek change. Like I said, it depends upon the level of use and how chronic the use was. And several questions we might ask for how long have you been using meth? And are there mental health issues that are involved? And in generally, only a chemical health assessment will be able to determine the level of care and what type of programming 
would benefit a person. Most people experience the most acute phases of withdrawal in the first two weeks, but can last longer, again, depending upon amount and duration of use. There are a lot of approaches and treatment from cognitive behavioral therapies, acceptance and commitment, rational motive behavior therapies that can benefit a person that is going through addiction, but there's not one approach that fits all people. And there's many programs and treatments that are effective if a person is willing to accept, again, here we come, accept and be willing to change. I accept that this lifestyle of using methamphetamines is not beneficial to me. I am willing to seek help to get on the right side of this. And recovery is possible, but it's a very tough road. And the people that have an addiction to meth, what are they going to need? Well, they're going to need love, acceptance, and support from their loved ones and from the community. And a lot of times they don't get that because, again, we've burned bridges. The consequences of meth use go beyond just the brain and the body. But it, we think about the social impact on someone who has been using meth. They usually will isolate in groups of people and use in that community. Now, in Minneapolis, we have this homeless encampment. And by statistical reasoning, we can uh, deduce that in most homeless encampments, there's a lot of drug use. There's a lot of opioids, a lot of alcohol, and meth use along other things too that are going on with abuse and trauma and rape and assaults and murders and all those other things, they're not really happy places to live in. But when we're in our addiction, we're not looking to live in a nice house. We're not looking to live away from people and to have nice things because the only thing on our mind, and especially with meth, is the next high, is the next run. And that is the goal of the addiction and meth is so hard to overcome because we have overloaded our brain with the dopamine and serotonin and the brain latches onto that and it says man whatever that was i want more that's why it's so hard to come off of this that's why it's so hard to get away from methamphetamines and it will drag you back in it will drag you back in. You might be sober for a year. You might be sober for a couple months and you're working your program. But then again, something happens. We let our guard down or we get into one of these stages of the relapse. And next thing you know, we have it in front of us. And sometimes it might be just a simple impulse control. Like we're minding our own business. And next thing we know, here shows up someone and says, hey, you want some of this? And you're like, you're not even thinking. Next thing you know, you get, you're either injecting it, eating, snorting, or smoking it. And the next thing you know, you're up for a couple days and you're on another run. And then you feel bad because you're like, I didn't want to do this. That's how insidious addiction is. And especially methamphetamines. So if we're willing to accept that we need to change and we understand that it's affecting our brain, our body, and our social and interpersonal relationships, and we're ready to change, change and recovery is possible. Now, I mentioned those faces of meth from Oregon, and they have 10 years later, and I saw some of the pictures of the people that had their mugshots done, and in those 10 years, we have seen some people make full recovery and look completely different 
almost back to what they looked like before Matthews. But it takes constant maintenance. It takes being on your game, working your recovery program, going to therapy, doing the things that are going to work for you so that you can combat and put this illness in a management situation. So when we get to the maintenance part, it's constant vigilance. It's managing and knowing more about ourselves than we'd ever care to know so that we know our triggers, we know our cravings, and we know how to implement life skills to counteract those things that might bring us back to addiction. So it's not easy. I said it's not easy. And recovering from any addiction is not easy. It is a very, very hard thing because we're not fighting the drug. We're fighting biology. We're fighting the biology of our brain and the hijacked reward system in our brain to perpetuate our life. We have to really work at behavioral changes, cognitive changes, and then we should have some success. If we're just half-stepping it, now if you remember, half measures avail us not out of the AA book. We can't just kind of partially step our toe into this and say, well, I'm going to try recovery for a little bit. I'm going to try this for a little bit. And if it doesn't work, then oh well. We have to be sold out. We have to realize that this is ultimately going to lead to a grave or a hospitalization, a long-term hospitalization in a psychiatric ward. We have to understand this. This is not a scare tactic. This is total reality. Millions of people every day are committed to the hospital. Millions of people every day are dying because of methamphetamine overdose, meth-related illnesses. Their body is shutting down. They're getting HIV, TB, AIDS, you name it. They're getting infections in their arms from injecting, which then collapse the veins, much as like a heroin user might have. This is not a good thing. It's not a pretty life. It's watching someone slowly rot and decay from the inside out. There are no benefits, no benefits to methamphetamine use at all. The consequences are far greater. And if you're ever considering this, like, hey, maybe I should do meth. Guess what? Don't. It, that's a strong don't. Because you will be taken on a ride through the bowels and the pits of hell that you will never forget and it will change you for the rest of your life. So I, I implore you, please, if you know someone who is addicted to methamphetamines, listen to this, share it with them, help them, advocate for them, encourage them, love them, be assertive with them and say, hey, this has got to change. You have to change. I'm willing to walk this with you, but I'm not willing to watch you kill yourself. I'm not willing to be a partner to enable you in your addiction. I want to help you, but I want to get you on the right side, but I don't want to be the reason why you continue to do this. So love, acceptance, and support are the things that people in recovery really, really need. So let's look at a recap. Overall, we know that meth is a synthetic substance that is produced by breaking down common over-the-counter medications. It's very hazardous to produce and the waste products can have a long-lasting effect on your health and the environment. 
the increase of meth that was seized from 2018 to 2020 almost tripled from 80,000 pounds to 180,000 pounds in the U.S. And that almost 90% of the meth that is consumed is not produced in the U.S.A. and is often imported by drug cartels through the southwest border of the United States. Meth has a very negative impact on the brain and can lead to psychosis events even after use is stopped. Males are three times more likely to experience psychotic episodes and females are at a five times higher risk of psychosis that might require hospitalizations even after use has ceased. Meth can lead to early onset of Parkinson's and other brain disorders that are long-term and may not resolve with medication or abstinence from the use of the substance. Recovery from meth addiction is possible but can be exceedingly difficult and depends upon the attitude of the client and the treatment options that they choose. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what meth can do or the effects it has on a person who uses it, but the information is to help us to start to understand what meth is and how it can really turn our lives upside down and inside out in a very short period of time. So when is a good time to seek help for meth use? No time like the present. Now is the time. If you find this information helpful to you, well, let's share it with others. Get the word out, share the links, share the information that you've learned today, and hopefully that we can help inform other people on the dangers of methamphetamines, but then also the process of addiction. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Addict Podcast. I hope you found this to be of value today. And check us out on Facebook. And if you want to suggest topics or have questions about addiction or recovery, please send me an email at everydayaddict8 at gmail.com. Again, that's everydayaddict, all one word, the number eight at gmail.com. Until next week, have a good one.